0: You are now turned into the dopest college radio station. UCM the beat. Keep it locked. U C M the beat. You are listening to the Smoke Signals podcast on The Beat. Today we have Officer Prindle with the Warrensburg PD. How are you doing today?
1: I'm awesome. How are you?
0: I'm doing good. Now, we'll get straight into it and talk about how you, how you became a cop.
1: Okay. Um. So I'm actually from New Jersey, not from Missouri. I moved out here to... Uh, Meet up with somebody I was dating at the time and always wanted to be a police officer. I got my criminal justice degree from Seton Hall University. Um, Came out here, found out you guys actually had a police academy, put myself through the academy, and Warrensburg actually hired me during the academy.
0: And now how is that process like?
1: So... To get into the academy, it's a, an interview process. The director of the academy gives you like a packet, you fill it out, and then he sits down and interviews you. They only pick usually around 25 people per class. I know there's a part-time class too. I think they take 15, but the whole getting in is a process. The actual academy is, I believe now it's 820 hours of courses, and you do PT. You learn pretty much the basics of everything you would need going in to become an officer and anything you need to take your certification exam.
0: Now, is there like any special kind of things you need for, for like the academy? Are you, are you going in to take like psychology or something to understand like your, the people in the field or?
1: There are, we do have classes. There was one. I remember they call it survival mentality and they had, um, officers who had been in, close to death situations discuss how they were able to get through it and the kind of therapy they went through afterwards we also do like a mini cit course which is crisis crisis intervention training so that's helping people who are in a mental crisis people who ha- may have some kind of mental illness and it teaches a lot about that and how you can handle it but still keep yourself and everybody else safe
0: now what's what is that like how does that entail what does that entail
1: so I, I'm actually CIT certified. Everybody at the Warrensburg Police Department is CIT certified. It is a four-week course. You go once a week. You have psychologists come in, counselors, therapists. We also had a um, the mom of a child who has autism come in and discuss how her child reacts to certain situations, how the police can de-escalate those kind of situations. Um, I've personally been on a lot of calls with people struggling with mental illness. I think the best thing to remember for that is that everybody's human. They're just having a really rough time right now. And a lot of them are good outcomes. There's been very few where we've been forced to take the person to the hospital because they were a harm to themselves or somebody else. But most of them are good outcomes. People will eventually come to see eye to eye with you we're not as scary as we look. A lot of times in situations like that, people are scared of us. We're walking up. We've got these big vests on. They see a gun on our hip. People get scared that they think something's going to happen. We'll usually reassure them, you know, we're not here to hurt you. We're here to help get you some kind of help, point you in the right direction, find somebody who can get you that kind of help. Or like I said, worst comes to worst, we'll take them to the hospital so they can get the help they need.
0: Now, I used to work with during my senior year of high school, I used to work with, like, kids with special needs, and there was an autistic kid that sometimes got physical mm-hmm. with, like, their teachers and stuff. How do you handle kids like that? Because you guys can't, like, arre- arrest them for hitting you like Mm-mm.
1: that. We won't ever do that. Um, if they do get physical with us or somebody else, we do know how to do soft restraints on them, which is pretty much just holding them until they calm down. Um, there's another officer on our department who carries a deck of cards with him. Children with autism like to count things, and if he pulls out the deck of cards and says, Hey, can you count me out 10 cards? It like immediately brings them down, and they'll sit there and count the cards out for him. Or I know another officer would start drawing a picture, and then a child would see them drawing a picture, and they'd want to draw the picture too. So even, even if they're, you know, amped up, they're all the way up here we have different methods. Some people find different things work. I tend to keep my voice at a low volume because most of the time they're screaming. They're really amped up. They're upset. And talking at a low volume tends to calm them down because they'll come down to your level. And I, we've never really dealt with any, like I've had, you know, little kids come up and hit me that we're having some kind of thing, but it's not like it hurts. It's not like you know, they're going to go out and, yeah, maybe they hit mom when mom was trying to do something. But most of the time we get called to those just to help mom or dad calm them down. And a lot of times that might even be if they're in a house, we'll take them out on the front porch and we'll just sit and let them do what they got to do, whether that's, you know, screaming, yelling, throwing something. And then once it's out of their system, they're they're usually good.
0: And when, like, you go to arrest and stuff and it's a big fan like the whole family's there or something. Mm -hmm. And how do you deal with like the kids there, I guess, like crying and telling you not to take their parents or something?
1: So if it is something that is going to turn into arrest, usually there's more than one officer there. Um, I personally, if I'm going to arrest like mom or dad, I try to take them out of the house before I do that. And I like to explain to everybody what's going on. Like, I don't just, you know, slap handcuffs on someone and drag them away. It's, you know, you're under arrest for this. This is what's going to happen. You know, you're going to be booked, written a citation and released. We'll bring you back here. It's about a 30 minute process. And usually the other officer will explain to the kids, you know, mom mom or dad will be back. This, you know, there's they made a mistake. It's okay. Everything's going to get fixed. It'll be fine. Most of the time, the kids understand. Um, We've had a few times where, you know, kid automatically went to, well, you're the bad guy, you're taking mom or dad away. Um, It's, at that point, it's a matter of another adult who's not an officer usually talking to them about what happened. Because if they're seeing an officer take somebody away, obviously they're gonna associate police as being the bad person. Um, and that's why our SROs actually don't make arrests in the schools. They'll call a road officer to come make that arrest because the schools don't want the SRO to be associated with, you know, arrest, dragging some kid out of class, anything like that.
0: Okay. And when, like, you talk about, like, viewing police as, like, a negative image, mm-hmm. you, you guys have had that a lot over, like, the past year with the past protests and, and different things and just people posing, like, negative towards the police. How do you combat that and, like, show that it's not all negative?
1: So, oddly enough, Warrensburg hasn't really had that problem. Um, I I really haven't ran into anybody here who has given me a hassle. I mean, you get people who are upset that you're there for whatever reason. Like, we didn't call you, go away, something like that. Um, Even during the, the marches we had here, everyone was super respectful and that's all we asked you're free to protest but you know everyone was respectful to us they thanked us for blocking the roadway and it's just i think i i think it's kind of that the whole blanket statement of you know all cops are bad because one cop did something and a lot of us don't believe you know there are bad apples in every profession you know you have doctors who are doing shady things lawyers are doing shady things and unfortunately we get thrown into the spotlight a lot just because we're very out in the community as opposed to you don't really see a doctor running up and operating on someone in the roadway um but we haven't really dealt with that my thing is i'll give you respect no matter what you can be cussing me out or whatever saying you hope i die or you know anything like that and i'm still going to give you the respect that i expect even if you're not giving it to me and like I said before, I, I tend to go off the notion of everybody's human, so I'm not going to treat you as anything less than a human. We all deserve to be treated equally. We all deserve to be treated fairly, and that's how I tend to work out in the fields. I, like I said, personally, I, I've never had anybody you know, have an issue with me. I, I've had people have issues with another officer I've been with, or, you know, well, I got arrested by you guys one time by so-and-so, and he was a real jerk, or... It's just you kind of just have to keep doing your job. You have to do it to the best of your ability. And if if someone's going to be resistant to that, then that's their choice. I mean, I I can do my best to try to change their decision just by being me as a person. But I think a lot of people forget that when we take off the uniform, we are still people. And you wouldn't even recognize most of us just walking down the street.
0: Yeah. Now, pretty much how all this started is because of the... You guys post a lot on Facebook and stuff, and so I posted I posted some stuff on Facebook, just asking if if my friends and stuff have questions yeah. for for y'all and stuff. Okay. And one that I thought was kind of interesting is what what do you what is your opinion? And what is your approach on like it? He worded it as community policing, as in like you're not you're not just it's not just one unit. P- Uh, policing it's having the community be involved in in that
1: so is it referring to having like neighborhood watches or stuff or
0: Uh, policing emphasizes productivity problem solving in a systematic and routine fashion rather than responding to crime only after it occurs community policing encourages agencies and productivity Productively developing solutions to immediately underlining conditions, contributing with public safety problems. And pretty much what I, what I read into it is like they're having, it's kind of like the neighborhood watch, but instead of just the police are deciding when and what to do, it's the whole community is deciding what should be done.
1: So we, we have a lot of people contact us during either when we're working on shift or they'll contact our chief directly and say, you know, I've noticed that this is going on. What can we do about it? Um, A lot of calls, I I work day shift. A lot of calls we take are are people who may have a problem and they're just wanting to know what are my options? Like, what can we do about this? Can you guys get involved in this? Um, We do also do a lot of proactive work. So that's like traffic stops, you know, going after people who we know may have narcotics on them Um, our night shift officers are are pretty good with pine street and making sure alcohol compliance is a thing and trying to keep everybody safe down there before anything happens kind of thing Um, we usually saturate areas pretty heavily like if we have a few car break-ins in one area we'll do a saturation over there and our night shift guys are usually pretty good at catching whoever's behind it, once they saturate over there and surrounding areas. Um, We also do a lot of what's called crime mapping. So that's, you know, you take where every crime occurred, you plot it on a map, and then you kind of see, okay, where are our areas where people, you know, are having things stolen out of cars or where are the areas where a lot of vandalism is occurring? And then based off of those areas, we can do a pretty good prediction of where it may happen next. And then, like I said, we'll saturate that area until we can figure out, you know, who's doing this or is it multiple people? Is it someone from out of town just coming here to cause a problem? That's been kind of a new uptick of something lately. People coming from all over the place, coming here and committing a crime and then leaving. And I'm not quite sure why. (laughs) Um... But we do encourage our community to reach out to us. Some things we genuinely don't know. Like the other day I went on a call and a girl said, hey, we've had a lot of problems with, you know, people from Pine Street walking through our backyards. And it's, we can only catch so much and we rely on our community to reach out to us sometimes. Like her telling me that, now I can pass along to the night shift guys, hey, this street's having a lot of problems with people trespassing in their yard. So now they're aware of that. We can only be, you know, so many places at once. And it really helps when people reach out to us and say, hey, you know, I, I think my neighbor might be, you know, doing something shady or, you know, I, th- I think we have some people who, you know, I think I saw somebody possibly steal a package off of a porch and things like that help. Like I know Pettis County will do pictures like from surveillance photos and say, hey, does anybody know who this is? Um, we do that once in a while too, usually, we're pretty good at identifying people before we reach out, but you know, and sometimes like, I know there's that group, the Berg, sometimes people Um, will post stuff on there, but then they never call us about it. So we find out about it by reading the Berg and we'll try to do something. But a lot of that too is people might be having issues, but if we don't know about it, it's hard for us to, you know, either nip it in the bud or where's this going to happen next or anything like that.
0: Yeah. Now, when it comes to like, because you're 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 working on kind of like a college can- college city kind of yeah. thing, how do you how do you all like, I guess control the partying? Because there's o- there's obviously some partying going going on. Right. So how do you all control it? Because being from a s- small town, they're I guess kind of more chill about it. I guess and like. Like if you have a D, if you're the DD and something and you're, dri- you're driving your friends that had a few drinks, mm-hmm. then they're pre- they might stop you, but they're pretty much going to say, just go take them back home. How if, do you all?
1: So party wise, um, we've actually, like I said, people are pretty respectful to us here. If we get a call about a party or if we see a party that's pretty much getting out of control. We'll go find whoever lives in that house and we'll tell them you need to shut it down. Um, We've actually had some people hosting parties call us and say, can you come shut my party down? It's gotten way out of control. There's people here I don't know. Um, So we'll usually do that. If the person refuses and says, you know, go kick rocks, I I don't wanna listen to you. um, The person who's hosting the party is responsible. So they're the ones that will be arrested and cited. Usually, once we inform them of that, usually they're pretty good with working with us. They don't. No one really wants to go get cited for throwing a party. We don't really want to cite you for throwing a party. Like we get it, it's college. We, most of us have gone to college, so we get it. Um, the only thing we get concerned with is if there's a lot of minors that are very intoxicated, then we're gonna have an issue. Um, that's, that's a pretty serious citation to serve to minors. And from what we've seen, a lot of parties here are pretty good at not letting any minors in. They might sneak in and they don't know about it, but um, that that's kind of here or there. Your situation with the, uh, the DD, I actually had that situation. I stopped this vehicle just because it had a tail light out um, and it was a girl giving her friends a ride home and... The only thing I did was ensure that she was the sober one. It's it's fine if you're in the passenger seat drunk if you're driving, that's a really big issue. Um, but I ensured she was sober. She she did everything perfect. She provided a breath test for me of her own accord, and she was fine. So at that point, I told her, "Hey, get your tail light fixed whenever you can," and I let her on her way.
0: And how does that, like, when what do you do with minors when you when you do have to like cite? cite them
1: so they're giving a citation um we used to if it's in like a situation where everything's kind of crazy like if it's a big party and we're trying to get people out uh, we will bring them down to the station and like i said our booking process is maybe a half hour unless you get someone who's pretty quick um so that's it's just a city ticket you're not going to jail um if you're very intoxicated and nobody can come get you though we will take you to the jail to sober up. And that's only because liability wise, we can't release you because if you're drunk as anything, walk out of our police department, out of our custody, and then fall and crack your head open, that's on us because we should have known, you know, you're too drunk to take care of yourself. But if you have a sober friend come pick you up, we'll release you to sober friend. Um, We lately, it's been pretty good. Um, We haven't really had a lot of minors drinking. I mean, I'm sure they are. Uh, we were all there at one point. You can ask any one of us and we'll tell you that we drank underage. That's just kind of, yeah. it's just kind of a thing. Um, but it is just a ticket. And if you got a buddy who can come pick you up, then even, and even if you're not, if, if we can tell you're not drunk and can take care of yourself, we'll release you on your own. But most of the time people have a friend follow them anyway, just so they're not walking back to their house or whatever, because we'll literally just release you out the side door. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, One of the first posts that you guys made on the Facebook when I first got here Mm -hmm. was about, like, fake IDs and stuff. Now, how common is that here to catch kids (laughs) with fakes at, like, Pine Street and stuff?
1: Um, Pine Street, it's actually very common. Um, We do have an alcohol compliance officer who usually takes care of that kind of stuff. Um, So what they'll do is they'll contact him when they get one. We usually get either fakes or somebody else trying to use a real ID over 21, but it's very clearly not the person Uh on the ID. Um, And I've arrested a few people for it. Every time they're so convinced their fake ID is great. It's not, I've never seen a great fake ID. A lot of them, you look at them and it's fairly obvious it's fake. Um, And then these, you know, they're telling me, well, I paid $85 for that. And I'm like, well, you got ripped off because this is really bad. But um, usually, the, we work really well with the bars on Pine Street. Their Bouncers are trained actually by our compliance officer to recognize fake IDs. And a lot of them even catch on to the, okay, this is a real ID, but that's definitely not you kind of thing. Um, so they're pretty good. And what they'll do is they'll confiscate it and they'll write down the time the person came in and whether the pictures match, like if I hold it up next to you and it's the same person. Um, so we'll go off of that. And at, at that point, since we didn't exactly witness it, the bouncers are the witnesses for that. And they're the ones that have identified and said, yeah, this is the person. Um, so like our alcohol compliance officer has an entire drawer at his desk filled with fake IDs. Like just, And some of them are done and worked and they're just waiting to be destroyed. Some of them, he's still working on them. Some of them it's, you know, we couldn't really ID the person. So it's still confiscated. Um, regardless, your ID is going to get confiscated. So
0: now do you like, do you pursue those kids after like the bar gives you the ID? Are you, are you guys pursuing the kids or are you just taking away the ID?
1: Um, we'll take the ID. If, like I said, if the bar or the bouncer can identify and say, this was the person using this ID, it's the same person. Um, we'll look into it. UCM's, uh, public safety is very good with helping us with that because a majority of them are college students, and I get it. I, I mean, I wasn't one for the bars in college. I didn't really want to pay $8 for yeah. a beer. Like, you know, <laughs> some people do, though. And uh, so we usually work with DPS on that. They're pretty good with, we pretty, have a pretty good relationship with them. They'll help us out when we need it. Um, and then usually they'll work on their end to determine who that person is, and then Warrensburg officers will go make the arrest on it.
0: Okay, I'm gonna kind of change subjects. Yeah. But um when it was, uh, it was the very beginning semester, probably the first month. Okay. We had the Black Lives Matter protest. Now, how did that? How did that start? Like the, you guys shut down. I think it was Holden the street behind yes, over there and the
1: one they went like in a big yeah. square. Okay. How did that
0: start? Was that the community coming to the police or was that just like a message that you guys found out about and helped with?
1: Um, so that was actually, I believe organized by somebody here and it just spread out to the community. Um, and the person who was organizing it reached out to us and was like, Hey, we're planning on doing this. Um, we've had a lot of responses, would you guys mind doing some traffic control and of course we will. We, we want people to be able to protest safely. We don't need, you know, somebody coming and hitting a protester or somebody getting out and deciding they want to do some kind of street justice or something. Um, so we have no problem doing that. And like I said, they were all super respectful. A lot of them, you know, thanked us for blocking the roadway. And, you know, we had some come up to us and we don't have problems with you guys in particular. And um, we have a pretty good rapport with our community and they were, they were super nice. No- I never actually met who organized it, but f- the people who were a part of it were really nice to us, and they did what they had to do, and we respected them, and it's it's a good thing they're doing that. They have the right to do that. I'm glad people are speaking up about it, and it's good for them.
0: Yeah, I mean, like we saw in St. Louis, they, they shut down about a quarter of the highway so, yeah. so they could protest on there, mm-hmm. and that was a big thing that Not a lot of people expected Mm -hmm. to help a lot because St. Louis had a ton of problems around that kind of stuff with Ferguson and Mm -hmm. all that. But that was just one thing that I don't think was emphasized enough that how much help there actually was, like, making sure people didn't get hurt, making sure nothing bad happened. Yeah. But how did you guys – I didn't really hear much about, like, Warrensburg, but I'm from, like, the Columbia area, and there's a bunch of threats – towards like the Walmart and stuff like they said they're going to break in or do whatever right. they were doing. Now, how how do you guys like focus on that and like make sure that doesn't happen?
1: Um so we like I said we we're pretty good here. Um we didn't really all of that happened. We had some concerned citizens come talk to our chief about things and our chief is always open to talking to anybody who wants to talk to him. He's he's pretty good with going out and making his presence known. Um, But threats wise, we do get them once in a while. Um, We had one the other day where it was some kids threatening to fight in a parking lot or something. It was supposed to be like a big brawl. Um, And all we'll do is whenever, wherever that is, we'll just, you know, send a bunch of people up there and have them patrol that area, have them, this was supposed to be in a parking lot. So we had a few patrol cars sitting in the parking lot. On the off chance, you know, someone did want to come and start a problem. I know a few years ago, someone had, I think, did a bomb threat to Walmart. And, you know, we went in, we had Whiteman's EOD come in and sweep the building. Um, We have a pretty good rapport with them as well. They'll come and help us out. Um, We actually had somebody leave a package in front of the police department one time that we didn't know what was in it, but the person walked in and said that there were bomb-making materials in it. So... Police department got shut down. Um, highway patrol's bomb squad came out for that one. Determined the guy was lying. Uh, it was really just a bag of trash, but we couldn't.
0: Yeah, you we couldn't know. tell
1: just looking at it, you know. And we didn't really want to take that risk with one of us going up and opening it. And um, so, typically, threats wise, we do take them very seriously. We'll usually make a good plan of action for it and implement that plan. And if something if it does wind up to be true, we're ready for it. And if not, then we were ready for it regardless.
0: Now how does that work like how do you how does all the units and stuff like stay in stay in touch and keep that good communication like you guys and Whitman?
1: Um so we have a contact at Whiteman for EOD. Whiteman. Um, we actually we have highway patrol working out of our department. So if you see a lot of state troopers around town, that's why. Um, so we actually have contacts for, you know, Highway Patrol's Bomb Squad, EOD. Um, our SWAT team is a joint SWAT team between Warrensburg and Johnson County deputies, so it's half and half. So if something real big's going on, SWAT will get activated. They're all contacted by Johnson County Dispatch, and Johnson County Dispatch... Not many people know it, but they're pretty much the backbone of everything we're really doing. Um, They're the ones taking these calls. They're the ones dispatching us out where we got to go. So they're usually the ones we'll call them and say, hey, we need you to contact DOD. We got a situation and they're on it. The second you ask them, they're already on the phone with Whiteman saying, hey, we need you to come over.
0: And because we have a campus security or campus police police now how does that work because they're not the same as like warrensburg police department are they
1: they have the same powers as us which a lot of people don't think um Hmm. so i'm able to enact things within the city limits of warrensburg um campus police actually they have jurisdiction over the whole state yeah um so And a lot of people don't realize that because, like I said, some people are like, oh, well, they're just like mall cops. They can't really do anything. Um, They do have arrest powers. Uh, They can enforce any law in the state of Missouri, anywhere in the state of Missouri, if they really wanted to. Um, We work with them a lot. They, Lately, admittedly, um, we had a lot of retirements. A lot of people decided to move on and pursue something else. So we did have a lot of people leave our department and UCM's police have been there behind us the whole step of the way. When there were times when we were in a bind and we really needed some other officers, they were there in a heartbeat. Um, so they, they have the same powers as we do, just on a larger scale.
0: Now, do, how does that work when they, arre- when they arrest someone? Mm-hmm. Do they take it to the Warrensburg station or do they take it to the campus?
1: They'll take them back to their department if they make the arrest. Um, if it's something... Like, I have a report and it's, you know, somebody living on campus or something. If they go make the arrest, then we'll connect and they'll bring them to our department so I can take care of the rest. Um, Situations like on Pine Street. Back in the day, Pine Street used to be really, really bad. There would be huge brawls and bar fights and all of that kind of stuff. And if you got arrested by UCM, they would take you back to their department. And a lot of people, like didn't think ucm could arrest people they're like oh they're just here to be here so they're getting arrested by a ucm officer and they're not understanding why um but they go back to their own department unless it's something they're helping us work on
0: and because i was raised with a with a bondsman from Mm -hmm. columbia and he he pretty much did the whole state but like does the transfer like because we focus kind of on transfers and like we're from Boone County and sometimes mm-hmm. Boone County went to like Kansas City or something for that. Now how does that work? do they do they have like the same transfer kind of thing where where like they're getting you're the inmates from I guess inmates from yeah. Warrensburg and the inmates from
1: So we don't we don't hold people. Warrensburg Police does not uh, UCM does not. If we have somebody that has to go to jail, they go out to the Johnson County jail. Um, Johnson, I used to work out there as a jailer, so, um, Johnson County has what they call a transport van, so if we have people here who, say, have a warrant out of, like, Clay County, we'll transfer them up to Clay County, and then Clay County does whatever they gotta do once they get there. Um, so that's kind of how that works. We don't personally transfer people, um, very rarely will Highway Patrol do it. They call it a trooper relay, which is, like... And that's usually only for like a big deal. Like we have, it's like a homicide suspect that's wanted in like Lafayette County, and they caught them like down in Osceola or something. Troopers will do a relay to get them back up there, just so they're not sitting in a jail for forever in Osceola. Because typically, things like that, you want them right away. So the troopers will meet up with each other on the county line and just transfer the person into another car and keep driving.
0: Okay, and here, the here this month, we we've dealt with the like the shooting at at the massage parlor in that that in georgia and that um influenced the it was the um now i can't think of it this (laughs) discrimination bill right and how have you heard anything of how like that's supposed to be influenced and what's supposed to happen with that
1: i have not heard anything regarding that um we haven't had any issues with that here like i said we it's a pretty tight-knit community in warrensburg um we haven't really had any problems regarding any of that i'm not sure how that's going to go forward or how that would affect us
0: and a big deal over probably the past i'd say 10 10 years maybe plus is like a online online kind of thing where like there's online bullying and stuff like that Mm. and probably my I'm going to say my sophomore year of high school, they started talking about more how you can actually be arrested for, like, uh, cyberbullying
1: mm-hmm. and
0: stuff. How does that, that kind of work?
1: So Missouri doesn't have what's considered, like, a cyberbullying. Um, it would technically fall under the harassment statute, which is pretty much you are doing continuous communications that are causing serious mental harm to somebody. Um, so that's most likely what that would fall under if that were to happen. I don't think we've had anybody that we've arrested for that, at least that we've been notified of. The SROs may have done something regarding some of that. Um, Missouri also, I believe in 2018, enacted a revenge porn law, which was a big issue. Um, and we actually have used that a few times for people who had sent nude photographs to somebody and then they posted them online or sent wow. them to a bunch of their friends. and that's also something people don't realize you can be arrested for doing that because they just think you know well hey man look at you know this girl yeah. sent me a picture and then they send it along and then it gets sent everywhere yeah. she finds out about it it's just it's not a good day for that person no, that,
0: i mean that's just a shitty thing to do anyways. yeah it is <laughs> but now is that like how that how is that invoked with like people are they are they like calling the police saying what happened then it's up to the police if like what they what hap- what they say happened actually happened, or how is that followed up?
1: So, if someone reports something to us, um, we'll look into it. So, let's say, for example, you're gonna report, I was on Pine Street and this guy punched me in the face. Okay, so we'll go from there, and, which is fine because you know you come in, you got a black eye, bloody nose. Okay, you definitely got hit. Um, and you're saying, I want to press charges. Okay, cool. So what we'll do at that point is, were there any witnesses to this fight? And if so, if we can track them down, we'll talk to them. What did you guys see? Um, then, if it's on Pine Street, there's cameras everywhere. So usually we'll look at cameras and, okay, I know that guy. Um, we'll go talk to them and say, okay, well, what happened? And he's like, well, he was mouthing off to me and I just punched him in the face. Okay here's the deal, man, he's wanting to press charges against you, and then usually we'll go from there and we'll make the arrest. Um, I worked one recently. It was a hit-and-run accident that turned into a road rage incident. Both parties said two totally totally different stories, but I had a witness who corroborated one of the stories and was like, no, nope, this is what really happened. Um, so the original person who had called in fabricated some of their story and... We're going to move forward appropriately with that part, but we do some investigations are a little more complicated where, you know, thefts from vehicles. I have no idea who got into my car. You know, my gun was taken. I don't have a serial number on it. So, stuff like that's a little more difficult for us to work, admittedly. typically those will come out like we'll arrest someone and then we'll be talking about something and they'll say oh yeah i broke into some cars over here and it's like okay cool well now we figured it out we still don't know where your stuff may be but at least we figured out yeah. who it was doing um and honestly a lot of stuff winds up in like pawn shops or on facebook marketplace or stuff like that
0: and when those people find that stuff on like facebook or something can they come to you and say, "Hey, that"? yep they think that's mine and then can you get it back or yep
1: um we had a i had a gentleman one time i was working he had a bunch of tools stolen and he actually went into the pawn shop for something else and found one of his tools on the shelf and called us and said i know that's my tool um our pawn shop here in town is fantastic if we walk in and say i'm doing investigation that's what i'm looking for they'll pull it off the shelf if it's already been sold that's
0: it's, it's a hands. little
1: bit yeah you're kind of a little bit out of luck at that point unless you contact we contact that person and they're like oh my goodness i didn't know it was stolen here come take it like and then the money thing they'll have to figure out with the pawn shop but um that's why we always recommend serial numbers whenever you get a gun an electronic anything with a serial number take a picture of it on your phone or even do like a word document google docs document and email to yourself. And just keep a list of those serial numbers, because God forbid something of yours is stolen um, and you have a serial number, especially a gun. There's a a lot of people don't have serial numbers for their guns. And that's guns are the one thing we most definitely want to return. We most definitely want to find. You don't want a random gun floating around the street. And um, having a serial number allows us to enter it into NCIC. And that's like a national database where like, let's say I find a gun, I run the serial number, it'll flag as stolen, which means that I can take that gun. If it's on a person, I'm taking the gun, I'm arresting the person. Um, Things like, it's the same thing with cars. A lot of people don't know their license plate number, which is understandable. I mean, you know, you can look at your car every single day, but um, VIN numbers are important because if, Someone takes your car, God forbid, um, they can easily swap plates on it. They can't really change the VIN number. So on chances you get your stuff stolen, which I hope people don't, I really don't want people to, unfortunately it still happens. Um, Make sure you have that kind of information for us. It does help us track your stuff down or even noticeable things like I had a, a girl who lost had her skateboard stolen And she was able to tell me, she's like, oh, there's neon orange tape, like, wrapped around it. And when we found it sitting in a parking lot, I could look at it and say that's definitely hers. Like, what's noticeable about the stuff you lost? People with AirPods tend to get them stolen a lot. Yeah. Um, So do you have a case on the AirPods? Is there anything specific about them? I know they have serial numbers, but a lot of people don't have them. So I usually try to go with what's unique about your item so I can get it back for you.
0: Okay, and I'm going to kind of go back to, like, the gun thing. Yeah. Um, how do you go about kind of what I was taught is, like, because we go hunting stuff a yeah. lot, and, like, if you get pulled over, you put your hands on the steering wheel, mm-hmm. like, kind of put them up and stuff. Uh, how like how do you guys go about that, and what is it that we can signal you saying, hey, we, we do have a weapon in the car?
1: Say literally that to us. Um, the thing is... <laughs> We're, we're very well trained with noticing people are understandably nervous on a traffic stop. Um, getting pulled over by a police officer is not particularly pleasant because, you know, it means you did something or something's up or whatever. Um, we do appreciate, you know, hands where we can see them. And that's even if we're talking to you in person. We don't like people who put their hands in their pockets, which I get is a comfort thing. Um, but we don't know what you have in your pocket. So not to say you know that means we're going to immediately get defensive but you know if we're this far apart and uh you have a knife in your pocket and decide you're done talking to me you're close enough where you're you can get me with that knife so that's why it's keep your hands out of your pockets keep them in our line of sight um some people will like put them on the dashboard and i'm like you're not you know you're not being searched just (laughs) where i can see them is good enough um and exactly that you know especially during hunting season we know people have rifles in their cars and everything like that and turkey hunting is coming up soon so people are gonna have shotguns in their cars um if you have one you know just let us know hey i have a firearm in the car it's registered to me cool thanks for telling me and that's you know we'll be aware of it um a lot of times when we deal with them it's people who aren't going to tell us they have them and that's that's why you'll see a lot of officer fatalities are on traffic stops um usually it's people pulling a gun from under the seat pulling a gun from wherever and you know or um the instance in clinton where the gentleman got out of the car and opened fire as the officer was exiting his vehicle Mm -hmm. um so traffic stops are considered pretty high risk for us And even, you know, you can pull over the nicest person ever, but in the back of our heads, we're still like, okay, you can be super nice, but, you know, this can go sideways. We may have someone drive by and open fire on us. Like, that's just, unfortunately, that's a part of the job. You kind of have to realize that. But um, we do appreciate people just being up front with us. And, you know, I have a gun in the car. Where's it at? Oh, it's in the trunk. Okay.
0: Now, what kind of training do you all have to, like, maybe – Let's say, like, you see a gun, but, like, they're not just out front telling you, hey, I have a gun. What's that kind of training like to, like, handle that kind of person that's kind of trying to hide it?
1: So, if they're trying to hide it from us, um, typically what we can do is if we suspect somebody has a weapon on them, we can do what's called a terry frisk, um, and that's pretty much we just pat you down for weapons. Nothing else, just weapons. Um, if we locate one at that time, we'll usually take possession of it and say, hey, when we're done talking, I'll give it back to you. But for now, just so both of us are safe, I'm going to hold on to this. We'll usually like, put it in our car so it's totally out of play. Yeah. Um, Missouri is an open carry state. You can also conceal carry without a permit. So we also understand that. I've talked to people before with a gun on their hip. The only time it's concerning is if the person's starting to get aggressive, being aggressive towards us or somebody else, then it's okay, but we're gonna have to figure something out cause you have the ability to do somebody serious harm. So let's, you know, um, but we can't just like walk up to you and take your gun. A lot yeah. of people think that, um, or they'll, you know, you can walk down the street with a gun on your hip. We have people call in on people like that. There's a guy walking down the street with a gun and, you know, you hear that, and your first thing is, okay, well, is he waving it around? Is he pointing it? Is he? And then you get out there, and the guy's just, you know, minding his business, walking down the street with a gun on his hip. Um, so we can't—there's nothing we can do about that. If, you know, you're a law-abiding citizen carrying a gun, you're free to do that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Now, how do you—because I'm going to say it was— Two or three months ago. I'm not, I don't remember too much. Yeah. But I think it was on Holden, almost uh, Pine Street. There Mm -hmm. was like a shooting between two different individuals. How Mm -hmm. do you guys deal with that? Because you guys weren't on, right on scene, like when the shots went off.
1: Correct. Um, That's a lot of, again, witness testimony. Pine Street, fortunately, has a lot of people. Um, It's also going over the crime scene. So where did this occur? Let's see what we can find. Are there casings here? Are there whole bullets here? Is the gun here? Because sometimes people shoot and then toss the gun because I don't want to be caught with it. Um, There's a lot of a lot of things we can look at on a crime scene that can give us an idea of what occurred and you know people saying, well I heard the gunshots at this time and well I saw them at this time and it's a lot of compiling evidence at that point. If it's something that occurred, we weren't there to see it. You know, the people involved are nowhere to be found. Um, it's At that point, it's really up to us to examine the evidence we do have and do what we think is best.
0: Now, oh, I forgot it for a minute. <laughs> well, now I'm going to have to stop this. Now, what do you going back to some of the questions i got through like facebook i got asked what is like one of the toughest decisions you've had to make like in the field
1: um it's it's always for the the right reason but a really tough decision to make is when we have to remove a child from a house um We have the ability to do that if the house is considered unsafe in some way or if the child's not being taken care of. I've only had to do it a handful of times. Um, It it stinks every time because the kids don't really 100% understand why they're being taken away from mom and dad. Um, And sometimes mom and dad aren't really happy that their kid's being taken. Um, That's usually a hard decision to make because DFS's goal is to you know, keep families together, but when it comes to a point when it just really is not working out or, you know, they're in an obviously dangerous situation, like they're in a drug house or something, then it's it's really, you have to get that kid out of there. And it's, it's heartbreaking because, you know, parents sometimes really do their best to try to take care of their kid, and they just don't have the means to do that. And then we get involved. Um, alternatively, when we're taking a child due to abuse, then it's usually better off for the child, and it's just heartbreaking for the child who this is all they've known. They don't really understand, you know, why are, why am I being taken away or anything like that. And it, it's hard to explain to a child, you know, well, you know, being hit like that isn't isn't what should be happening here because they just don't they don't know. That's all they've ever known. Yeah,
0: that's how they grew up. Yeah. Now, the exact opposite of the question, what is your most gratifying part of your job?
1: Um, so, <clears throat> I'm really big with, you know, going out and talking to people. And I, I like there are some people I've arrested quite a few times um, to the point where I'll show up and they're like, oh, hey, I know you. All right. Come on, let's go. Like, um, it's really nice to see, you know, Joe Schmoe, who I've arrested five, four three, two, one times, um, it's nice to see a, well, I haven't heard from Joe Schmo in a few months. And then, you know, you see him walking down the street or you run into him for some other reason and you talk to him and he's like, yeah, I got my life together. I'm doing a lot better. Or, um, I, I work a lot with domestic violence. Um, that that's a pretty big thing. And it, it's nice to see when you get somebody out of that situation that they're doing a lot better, or you know, they're just a lot happier, more relaxed, um so that's really nice and there there's one girl that i got out of that situation who i still run into her from time to time and every time she sees me she thanks me and i'm it's i'm like i didn't really do anything i you know got you out of the situation but you're the one who worked to get where you are and some people they just realize you know okay i got arrested for the fifth time for meth i'm kind of tired of this and they just you know flip a switch and they're like i'm done dealing with that Hmm. I'm, i'm gonna go get my life together
0: now, I don't know if you know who the who these people are or not, but there's a group on YouTube called the Milk Boys, and they're pretty popular in like high school and colleges. Okay. They pretty much travel travel around and party and stuff. That's why people like them. <laughs> but um, they had they had a trouble. They were trying to do like a meetup kind of thing. Mm-hmm. This was in Texas, and Texas, the Texas. I'm going to say State Patrol, okay. is it called them and said that if, like, they stop wherever they plan to stop, then they're going to be fined for inciting a riot. Now, how, do, how does that work where, like, how can you legally, I guess, have, like, a protest with the police or have a gathering with the police, like, with the police's involvement and say, like, hey, this is what we want to do. So can we do this?
1: The best way to go about that is to let us know. Um, we've had groups reach out to us. Hey, we're going to have a really big meeting here or, um, you know, we've had people we're going to have a, a party at the Elks Club with like 200 people. OK, cool. Like, thanks for letting us know. Yep. If you need us, let us know. Um, protest wise, it's usually the same thing. Like, I know there is a big protest on the lawn at the Justice Center and they never went into the street. So they let us know about it. And, you know, we kind of hung out in the area, mostly to keep things, you know, people from going after them because really that was our number one thing was <clears throat> our protesters, like I said, were very respectful. We, we didn't think they were going to, you know, flip a car, light a fire, nothing like that. Um, however, it was a volatile time. We were concerned some people who disagreed with them would not be as peaceful. Um, so that was where, and there were some people who disagreed, but, you know, they kept it peaceful too. And that's fine. That's all we're asking for. Um, it be, <clears throat> becomes a riot when you start causing property damage, you start harming people, you know, you're blocking traffic, you're, you know, pretty much if you're doing something illegal, gathering is not illegal, holding a protest is not illegal, that's your First Amendment right, you can do that. Um, the second the protest turns into angry mob, where, like I said, you're hurting people, you're flipping cars, you're lighting fires, you're destroying windows... That's when it becomes a little more of a dangerous situation. Um, and that's, that's where we would have to take some kind of action and put an end to it. Um, we, we don't care if you stand on the sidewalk and scream and yell at us. You, you're free to do that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the issue becomes when, you know, you're screaming and yelling at us and then you, like, throw a brick at us. Oh, okay, well, now, come here, man. Like, yeah. what are you doing? Um, and we understood a lot of people were angry with us and police as a, as a whole because of what was going on. Um, and I mean, I, have had my fair share of, you know, people cuss me out and, you know, you're, you're just a cop or a lot of really vulgar things that, you know, and especially because I'm a woman, usually they like to attack that part too, as Mm -hmm. opposed to my male counterparts who they kind of, they'll cuss at them, but you know, they'll throw the, I'm not going to listen to you because you're a woman or things like that. Um, but it really doesn't become what's considered like a riot unless, you know, someone says, all right, let's go break those windows oh, and yeah. smash the cars up. And, you know, we're going to steal a police car and joyride through this. Then it's – that's a different situation.
0: Yeah. Now, like with the stuff that happened <clears throat> the past year, was that was that kind of leaving you guys a little more cautious? Because even in, like, my, my town, which there wasn't really anything going right. on, we had, like – Almost any any kind of police stop, any any kind of traffic stop, we had two officers like per car. Yep. Is that like is that kind of a thing be, that evolved from this or?
1: Um. So like I was explaining before, traffic stops are pretty high risk. Um. Best case scenario, you have two officers on them. Because um, like I said, one will approach the driver, and the other one's ready. So if driver decides to open fire, this officer over here is ready. Yeah. Um. What's considered like a dangerous call, like um, domestic incidents that are physical, mm-hmm. assaults, um, you know, the big brawls on Pine Street. You don't ever want to, if you're outnumbered, you don't ever want to run into that by yourself. That's just really stupid on anybody's part. Like, that's like, you know, a random citizen sees this big brawl happening and they're going to go run in and break it. Like, no, that's, it's not going to end yeah. well. Um, I I believe some of us may have. Not been more cautious, but kind of remembered, you know, your officer safety tactics where, like I said, we we deal with a lot of the same people here in town. So it's kind of like, oh, I know he's never going to fight us. So I'm just going to, you know, Um, so it's not that, you know, people are suddenly paranoid. It's more that a lot of us were reminded of, okay. I you know i've been getting a little lax i really should you know keep my head on a swivel i need to stand a certain way you know i need to tell people to back up if they're in my space and people get offended by that um there are people who are like close talkers they like to get up in your face and we'll ask them to back up and they get really offended they're like well well why why do i need to and it's nothing against you man it's just i need to be ready on the off chance somebody here wants to do something and if you're right here i don't I don't have that everything. readiness.
0: Yeah. <laughs> now, here, here when cell phones have been more popular, more yeah. common, like police officers are getting fil- getting filmed more from yep. like traffic stops, and they're having more like chest cameras and stuff. Is that just to like protect protect you and and like the person you're stopping, or what is that?
1: Yeah. Um. So all of our officers are outfitted with body cameras. Um, I've had a lot of people run up to me and say, I'm filming this. And I'm like, I'm filming you too. So we're on the same page here. Um, really what it is is it's a to, it's kind of twofold It's to protect citizens because if you do have an officer who's doing something that's egregiously wrong, um, their administration will review that and say, well, you were totally wrong, man. Like you can sit here and tell me up and down, you didn't do that, but it's right here. Um, it also helps us because we've had you know, people come in and try to file a complaint and make up this whole thing. And then our administration will take a look at the video and that's nowhere near what happened. Um, so it's, it is twofold. Um, it is for disciplinary action against an officer if they do violate a policy or if they're out there using excessive force or you know, just not being what an officer should. Um, and then it is good for us because like I said, um, it, if someone comes in and files that complaint, like if I, you know, deal with somebody and they come in and they're like, well, she beat the hell out of me when she was arresting me. And then they look at the camera and that's not at all what happened. Then at least administration's able to turn around and say, you know what? That's not what happened are we can't move forward with anything.
0: Yeah. Now, I don't remember what, what I was listening to this from, but i think this was in la um a guy was like in a traffic light next to a cop and i don't remember what the situation was but the cop pretty much explained that like with like all the all these protests and stuff Mm -hmm. that they were kind of being a little more lenient on like how i guess how many people they're stopping like what they're stopping people for and stuff is that like a true thing that was actually happening or
1: not that i know of um traffic stops are very much up to your discretion um some officers will stop every single car for you know expired tags on it some like to run radar and they'll stop every single person speeding um it's really up to to their discretion i don't think anyone particularly stopped doing them or were kind of getting more picky about what they were doing. There was for a while, we were under COVID protocol. So we we weren't allowed to make traffic stops as per policy, unless it was a very dangerous situation, like somebody running a red light or driving recklessly um, or drunk driving that was yeah. considered dangerous. But um, I at least I didn't, I don't know if other officers have, I didn't really see any difference Outside of that time period where we weren't allowed to make stops, um, I didn't really see an, a, any difference, at least in our department, of you know what kind of stops we were making or anything like that.
0: No. How did that How did that go down with them telling you like you guys just need to need to make less stops? Um, and how did that like What was the reaction with so other officers?
1: The uh, the policy was that well, when COVID was really really bad here. Um, And people were pretty much under lockdown we were effectively what we call grounded which means we weren't really out making traffic stops we weren't really out interacting with people at all um if a call could be taken over the phone we would do that um people were really confused because accidents if it wasn't like major damage or the car wasn't blocking the roadway we would take it by phone and a lot of people were really confused about that because they people don't know what we're looking for when an accident happens so i'm asking them questions and they're like i don't i don't really understand what you mean and um and our front office was closed so people couldn't just walk in and um it was frustrating a lot of a lot of our officers are we want to be out there and we you know want to be keeping people safe and doing what we can to lower crime and you know um so it was a little frustrating and our chief understood that but at the same time he also didn't want all of us getting sick at once and then warrensburg has nobody so it made sense in the scheme of things and it didn't last that long i think it lasted maybe a month or two and then it got lifted but um it really was to kind of keep us away from possibly getting infected and we did have protocols in place if we responded somewhere with someone who was COVID positive um which pretty much, in a nutshell, required us donning a full hazmat suit. Oh. But yeah, it was it was not a fun time. <laughs> but um, that's been lifted. It's pretty much our operations are totally back to normal at this point.
0: Now, was that just because they looked at the numbers and said like the positive cases mm-hmm. are low, or?
1: Um. Yeah. It when did it, it really got lifted around June of last year, and then when things kind of picked up again in October, we were a little worried that it was going to go back to. Um, and it did go back to that protocol for like a week or two just for things to kind of calm down again. Um, Me personally, I I was in contact or went to calls with quite a few people who were COVID positive and had to wear the hazmat suit. Um, I had to be tested because of an incident. I was at the hospital. There was a gentleman there who was fighting the nurses and we found out one of the nurses was COVID positive um so my whole shift had to get tested so that was a, a fun bonding experience but uh um we all came up negative um we've been really fortunate in our department that i don't think any of our road officers got it so and a lot of us now are also got the two shots and are vaccinated but that's here or there <laughs>
0: yeah i mean i, I saw the it was probably around Christmas time, mm-hmm. your chief, your chief was the first one to get vaccinated with yep. someone else. And was that just, they, did they give you all the choice or was yeah. that kind of you, if you want the job, you need to get vaccinated?
1: No, it was a choice. Um, a lot of people just chose to do it because it was offered to us. Um, cause I think we were part of that, like, like tier one or whatever it was. It was like nurses, first responders, um, So a lot of us chose to get it just because it was available to us. Most of us went while we were, you know, on our days off and would just run in and get it done. Um, Some of us had really bad reactions from the second one. I had a really bad reaction from the second shot and then went to work the next day and just felt terrible. Um, But I think a lot of our department did wind up getting it. There's a handful of people who chose not to, but they're still there. Yeah.